Intersection is brought to you by Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. Learn more at touchpoint.health. I was compelled to put it on Facebook just because uh, I didn't want to just sit on it for the rest of my life. A guy joining the Army at 40, kind of being driven into it by despair, and finding a reason to live. Welcome to Intersection. I am Bobby Ratu, storyteller. I'll tell you a great story, you know, it's the pictures you don't get that kill you. You probably know this too. The minute you turn away from something, that's when something great happens, right? When we got ambushed, I dove behind this big rock with two other soldiers, and they were both firing back in front of me, so I couldn't fire my weapon. So I picked up my camera, and I took a couple shots of them firing back. They turned out to be so okay pictures. But if I'd have turned to my left, there was a guy with a 249 saw, a machine gun, blasting up the canyon. Just, you know what I mean? If I'd have just turned and got some shots of him, they would have made Stars and Stripes. You know what I mean? They would have made all the the DOD publications. All I had to do was turn my camera a little bit and get that shot of him. And I didn't do it. And it kills me to this day that I didn't do it. You know, like, why didn't I? You know, because you're in the moment. Right. You don't think about those things. The one thing I always wanted to, I tried to get, and, and that was gold in Afghanistan, was, was little girls, the little mm-hmm. um, local Afghan girls, because in a lot of the villages, they hide the girls away. They don't, you know, they don't want grown men. Mm. They're very protective of mm-hmm. their, their little girls over there. So when I could walk into a village and get a shot of a little Afghan girl, that was like gold to me. And those are still some of my favorite pictures that I got because it was rare to be able to get that opportunity. And that first mission outside the wire, I remember before we got ambushed, we walked through a village and there was a whole family sitting outside their house. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of walked by them and they just sort of looked at us <laughs> indifferently. Oh, another bunch of soldiers walking by, whatever. Uh, but there were a ki- bunch of little kids and, uh, I remember that was the first time I got a shot of little Afghan kids. And I thought, ah, that's it. You know, if I don't get another picture this whole deployment, that'll make it worth it. That, those those pictures right there, you know. Um, so, but yeah, you, there's so many times that I didn't get the shot. And those, those are the shots that just kill me. Uh, uh, one of the things I, I went through MPPA, my um, um, I'm a member of National Press Photographers Association. Okay. And I went through the, their training, their workshop in 1998, you know, and it, a couple of things that I walked away that I still use today, you know, 20 years later, 21 years later, is that wide, medium, tight, super tight, get the moment, mm-hmm. action, reaction, action, reaction, action, reaction. And, you know, that's something you can chant. You know, we mm-hmm. can feel good about it. But it is the hardest thing to learn is action, reaction. We all want to ca- take a picture of the fire. Yeah. But the best pictures are the people watching the fire. Right. Were there moments yeah. when you were deployed that you had to turn your way from the fire to get the pictures of the moments that truly told the story? I wish I'd have done more of that over there. Was it hard? You know, I didn't know enough about photojournalism at the time. Like, right. Uh, I just got out of the reserves about right. a year ago, and um, they were about to deploy me again. And I was, I would have gone back uh, because I know that if I went back to Afghanistan now, I'd get much better pictures. I'd do a much better job. 
but I just couldn't go back. I couldn't leave my kids for another year. So, uh, I got out, but, um, I didn't do enough of that over there. Um, and some of my friends, I have friends now who are some of the best Mm -hmm. military journalists in the world. And Jeremy Locke is one of them. He was a seven time military journalist of the year. And he always tells me and everybody like focus on the eyes, get those eyes, you know, Mm. zoom in on the eyes, get close to these people. And, um, sometimes that's not easy. Sometimes you do it with a long lens. Yep. Um, but getting up close to those reactions, like you're talking about, um, I didn't do enough of it over there. <laughs> That's one and of my you, regrets. But you, I bet you probably did enough of it. I got some, you know, like the, I got some great shots of the little girls I told you about. You know, I'd always ask their fathers if right. it was okay if I take, and sometimes they'd say okay and sometimes they wouldn't. Um, and I did get some great shots of Afghan kids. I remember one of my favorite shots, uh, I was in some village, and there's a whole there's a little group of four of them standing there just kind of looking at us, kind of scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I did a little break dance <laughs> and they cracked up and I got the reaction of those four kids laughing. Still one of my favorite pictures I've ever taken, you know, they, I just completely surprised. <laughs> but yeah. Is it, is it true when you're in the middle of nowhere, you want nothing but to be home? Yeah. Yeah. That was a long year, man. Over there. You're living like, uh, in plywood shacks and when we were on Bagram we were based out of Bagram airfield and it's a huge then it was a huge base they had a coffee shop um I think they had a pizza shop for a while so you could still get a coffee but when you go out to those forward operating bases or there's combat outposts which are even smaller and you see how these soldiers had to live for a year, that was a great thing about being an army journalist. Is I got to go to all different places and see mm. all the different things soldiers did. I wasn't like a soldier that gets stationed at a combat mm. outpost in the middle of nowhere, and that's where they're at for a year. Um, that was the great thing about being an army field journalist. But uh, yeah, you're just so far from home, and it's uh, it was a long year. That's all I could say. It went by so slow. The only thing that went by slower was probably basic training. <laughs> Those three months went by so slow. <laughs> but, and even the drill sergeants in basic training, like, this is the worst it'll get. Even when you go downrange, this is this, if you make it through this, you'll know you can make it through anything in the Army. And they were right. But. So what was it like to come home and bring all that with you to Clemson? Yeah, that was, well, first of all, it got me in, I think, to Clemson. You know, the portfolio I built up as an Army photojournalist, I couldn't have done that doing any other job. We had access to events and places that even civilian journalists didn't get access to. So I had a pretty cool portfolio that I could show uh, to the lady that eventually hired me at Clemson. Um, And the great thing was, you know, I got to Clemson and I saw these soldiers in uniform walking around campus and i'm like well what what the heck you know i thought i'd left that behind well they have a very (laughs) strong rotc at clemson and so i slipped right into writing stories and covering a lot of what our rotc does there and then clemson's got an amazing military heritage Uh, i've met some incredible clemson alumni veterans uh, that have done amazing things and i've written about them uh, including our favorite, including Colonel Ben Scarden, my man. 
you know, World War II, prisoner of war, Clemson graduate, 1938. I also met uh, Lieutenant Bill Funches, mm. who was a Korean War vet, Clemson yep. grad. Yep. And then Colonel Bill Austin, Vietnam War, prisoner of war. So I have befriended and written about prisoners of war from World War II, Vietnam, and Korea, all Clemson grads. Uh, that's just one example of the, you know, great stories. There's a lot of military stories coming out of Clemson. So I kind of, that sort of became one of my fortes in my job. And I've been able to bring a lot of recognition to Clemson's military heritage and our student, they have a great student veterans center that really uh, supports student veterans there. Um, and with my photo taking skills and my connections with the military, I've been able to get the pictures up through Department, Department of Defense media sites. So since I've been at Clemson, Clemson's been featured on the Army Facebook page more than any other college, including West Point. Wow. I'm very proud about that. Very proud of that, right? So, um, and uh, I've, I've gotten my Clemson military. In fact, when was that? Four, three years ago, I went to a commissioning ceremony in Tillman mm. Hall and got a picture of a father hugging his son, right? You know, the father was in uniform. He was an old Army guy, and his son had just, he just pinned the second lieutenant bars on his son and then they hugged in front of the American flag and like the son had a tear in his eye and I, I got that picture and it was named the United States Military Photo of the Year that wow year. I took it at Clemson right so uh, and every caption says Clemson University so I've been very proud that I've been able to bring that kind of recognition because uh, they hadn't really Clemson was known as a football college still right. is but I'm trying to put it out there as a very military friendly place with a rich military heritage, which it does have. You know, I'm just telling you the tip of the iceberg when I tell you these things. So you know, that's been great. You know, what's awesome is uh, when I was in Arizona, um, I got there in 1999. And my f- first assignment other than GA, general, uh, general assignment, was political coverage. Mm-hmm. And me and one other guy, uh, his main anchor was Kerry Pfeffer. And he knew Senator Senator, uh, um, Senator McCain very well. And so he and I traveled with Senator McCain during his 1999-2000 presidential run. And I remember the first time I met Senator McCain. Uh, Kerry came up and he was like, okay, we're going to meet uh, Senator McCain up there at the State House, in which our office was like a half a block from the State House. So we go up to the Arizona State House, and there he is, Senator McCain. I walk in the door. And, you know, my job was to kind of, you know, obviously I'm a photojournalist. I'm going to record it, get lights, get everything set up. I had another guy with me to set everything up. And so I walk up and, you know, um, I introduced, you know, Senator McCain, my name is Bobby Ratu. I'm going to put a mic on you. These are the things that we're going to do. We apologize if you just give us just a few minutes and we'll have it all ready to go. And without missing a beat, Senator McCain looked up and he goes, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> I said, no, sir, I'm, I'm, from, I'm a southern boy. And he was like, well, where are you from? <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm from a little town called Clemson, South Carolina. I love Clemson. No kidding. And I was like, Senator McCain, have you been to Clemson? Oh, absolutely. No kidding. I love the SO Club. I've been Get down to, here. I like the Strom Thurmond Institute. And let me tell you, you have a rich heritage of military. I love visiting there. No and vi- kidding. And we talked. That's awesome, he said. That's great for about 30 minutes 
And, you know, his, his aide was like, who is this? Was like, what's going on here? And so we ended up following John McCain all over the country, and I, wow. you know, which was a phenomenal thing. And so through that, I bought all his books, and yeah. you know, I did his last interview when he um, when he conceded to uh, uh, George to George uh, George W. Oh. Um, in the first run in the primary in South Carolina. Yeah. And but anyway, I say that is because Clemson has a unique military heritage. Yeah. That even on the undercurrents, the old brass, no. Yeah, that's we, so cool. That you know, did. that we, Clemson deployed the third most uh, cadets. They did, to World War Two. To World War Two behind uh, West Point and VMI. Yep. Or was it Texas A&M? I think it was I, Texas A&M. I think it was. And, then, and I think in World War One, the entire class, one entire class from Clemson went to war. The entire class. I spent a day with McCain wow. when he came to Bagram Airfield, Afghanistan. He came to Bagram. He came to Afghanistan, and they assigned me to follow him around as he's visiting the soldiers. And uh, that was such a thrill to me, uh, you know, because he, especially the soldiers, he's a hero, man. He is. I mean, he he's, was a treated pris- like, he's a prisoner of war. Yeah, those guys are the top of the top as far as, you know, people, what we aspire to be and, and who we respect. And so he was treated like royalty, you know, by mm-hmm. everybody he met that day, especially the soldiers. Um, I just remember going into a back room. He'd shook a bunch of hands with a bunch of soldiers at some event. And we, we went into some back cafeteria, you know, to prepare for the next thing. And he pulls out this huge thing of Purell. <laughs> and he's like putting on his hands like, yeah, I got to use this stuff all the time. You guys need any? It was great. <laughs> That's one thing I remember. Man. <laughs> but he has Super such a cool. he has such a demeanor about him, and he's a short guy. He was a pilot, yeah. So he's not this big, tall guy. No, but he true. has a presence about him. He does. And you know, Colonel Bill Austin, who's a Clemson grad, was in the Hanoi Hilton with mm. McCain, and he wow. So that might be one way McCain knew about Clemson too. Could be because uh, Colonel Austin graduated Clemson, and, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, that's 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 cool. That's a cool story. And, I'm glad to hear that. And the reason why I bring that up is because here you are, a guy who wanted to escape life, wanted to end life, found the army, served in the army, and found yourself at one of the biggest at one time one of the biggest military institutions. Yeah. Telling stories about military personnel that are serving Clemson. Talk about when you look at your career as a photojournalist, you've told so many stories. What made you start telling your story? My story. Why You're asking why I put that stuff out on Facebook last week? Well, I've been writing it for years, and... Uh, sort of piecing it together and thinking, God, I don't know if anybody really want to read this, you know, but, but I, I was compelled to put it on Facebook just because, uh, I didn't want to just sit on it for the rest of my life. What and is it? it? Just a guy joining the army at 40, kind of being driven into it by despair and, and finding a reason to live right through that decision um 
so I wanted to give people a different view of what the army can be. Um, what maybe there that there's always a choice other than the way out, right? Uh, even if it's completely 180 degrees from what you're used to, uh, you can make that choice. You can do it. You could turn your life 180 degrees and do something completely foreign to you. And it could end up being a great thing. Probably will end up being a great thing. Um, you know, it was 180 degrees. I was an artist. You know, I worked in theater. Going into the Army was completely, like, against everything anybody ever knew about me. I never once thought about the military until I was 40 years old. I didn't know the difference between a sergeant and a colonel, you know. I didn't know what a Medal of Honor was. Uh, I completely knew nothing about the military. Um, that was what other people did. Uh, but just through despair and, and desperation, you know, I looked into that option. And uh, when the opportunity came, I took it. And it was like a lifeline, kind of. Um, I think it was sort of a lifeline, you know? Even though I was in my head joining to drown, it turned out to be a lifeline that sort of pulled me to the surface. And uh, I think I knew in the back of my head that that's what probably would happen. Uh, so the reason, you know, I put that out there because I think that story might help people if they knew what I went through and how it ended. But it hasn't ended, has it? Right, it hasn't ended, but, but the result of you know that decision. So What we expect our stories to be transparent. We ask their questions. We try to get inside their heads and take beautiful pictures and walk away with something very precious, and they trust us with the written word that we're going to portray our stories in a way that we hope live up to their expectations. And then we turn ourselves and we expose ourselves. It's not natural, is it? It's true. Yeah. How, how long had you been thinking about that story and what was the tipping point that just made you sit down and write the words I thought about buying a gun. That's very transparent. Yeah. It wasn't that hard, Bobby, honestly, you know? It, it wasn't? It wasn't a, like some, uh, I didn't have like an epiphany, like I gotta write this down. I right. Just, uh, I think I wrote that first part, I don't know, when I was still at Fort Hood, probably. No, I think I started writing it when I got here to Clemson. I was in the reserves. I'm like, I really should document this. And part of it was, I. You know, someday I'd like my grandkids to know <laughs> what I went through. Why the hell did Grandpa join the Army when he was 40? <laughs> well, here's the story, you here's know. Here's the story. If nothing else, I could have this to show them. And uh, so, well, yeah, it was I, It was sort of a slow burn, you know, building up. And then I finally got to the point where I'm like, I, you know, this is – I got a pretty good piece here. I think I could put it out. It's super long. That's why I put it out in five sec, five sections, like sort of as a serial. But – uh but yeah, there wasn't there wasn't that moment where I'm like I have to I have to put my story down on paper, you know? Right. I just kind of have always been doing it, right? Well, what's interesting is that us journalists sometimes can find the words to describe where many people can't. Yeah. Why must we tell the story 
of thinking about suicide or struggling with mental illness or right. why why do we need to put more words out there you, i think about my mom telling me don't talk about stuff like that because yeah. you might not get insurance or you might get in trouble or someone might not give you a job but there's something about authenticity that it's better to tell because yeah. we might connect with people that have similar experiences yeah yeah it might have been different if i was still in the throes of yeah. those thoughts <laughs> yes like you know i passed it so i think it was easier to put it out there um but it is it's it's, it's well you know it's hard but it's not hard to put yourself out there i mean like I said, I'm as big a narcissist as anyone else. You know, we all go to Facebook looking for attention. <laughs> yes. But you know, another thing we do is we go to we post these things and our thoughts and our what we're, what's going on in our lives, what's gone on in our lives, looking for another point of view from people. Mm. You know, well, this is what happened to me. What do you think about this? You know, and that's another reason I think I put it out there. I'm curious to what all my friends their perspective on it you know and it's been an overwhelmingly positive response I, like i thought a few people because it was long when you post a, like a long right. ass <laughs> all long. these words on facebook it doesn't usually get a lot of hits uh but i you know, and you got, understand what it means to put content out to get yeah, a lot of hits so i was not expecting it to strike the chord that it did but i got lots of people dming me uh who have been in that dark place thinking of suicide and then also people who've had family members that went through with it um and they've reached out to me the last week like a lot of them like uh, it's been really moving and they've said you know seeing what you wrote made me feel better <laughs> you know yep like i'm not alone it's that's a cliche but it's it's true uh whatever i put out there on facebook made them feel like they're not the only ones that have had those thoughts or um, been in those places. So that was, you know, super rewarding. I wasn't expecting that at all. You know, I would say I put it out there for mostly narcissistic reasons. But <laughs> it's turned out to be something a lot better than that, you know, so. So what's your greatest passion? My greatest passion is telling stories, telling stories, telling people's stories, I think. That and uh, red wine. No, <laughs> <laughs> Kinskar, thank you. Thank you, Bobby. This has been great. Thanks That's for awesome. taking the time. I'm glad you had interested enough to sit here with me all this time. I think it's awesome. Listen to me jibber-jabber at you. You didn't jibber-jabber a bit, man. If anything, I jibber-jabbered a lot. <laughs> that's all right. I think, it, I think it added to it, so that's good. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Cool, dude. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Intersection is powered by Touchpoint Media Network, a podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. To learn more, go to touchpoint.health. That is touchpoint.health.